God, we're so thankful for your grace, and I thank you that I have the privilege of, again, um, teaching and being with our high schoolers. Uh, we thank you for your word and how it is sharper than, two any, than any two-edged sword. It reveals our hearts and our motives, but it also at the same time reveals Christ. And so, God, we do pray that even in our time together in the book of Psalms, or this even orientation in the Psalms, that you would awaken our affections, that you would sharpen us, that you would help us to incline our hearts and our affections toward you. And so, God, we thank you. I pray that the Spirit will be working in our hearts even tonight. We thank you. We love you, Grace Austin G's name. Amen. All right. Uh, now, as I've mentioned briefly, yes. Oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> All right. This is off. Okay. Um, as I've briefly mentioned for the past few weeks, um, for the fall, we'll be spending some time in the Psalms or the Psalter. But my question is, why look at the Psalms? Uh, why the Psalms? If the whole Bible, if, if you think about it, if the whole Bible is about God, can't you just, you know, can we just look at a book like Romans or uh, Nehemiah or, or something in the Bible? Why does it have to be the Psalms? And the reason why is because the en entire genre of the Psalms is, is poetry. And that's important. Uh, in fact, almost half of the Old Testament, believe it or not, is actually poetic. Um, poetry doesn't speak to us in the same way that a story does or in the same way that maybe some instructions from Paul does. Um, a, a psalm is a song, okay? It's a poem. And like all songs, songs are poetic. Songs attempt to paint pictures with words. Um, and so the, the genres that we see in the Bibles attempt to achieve different purposes for us and for its audience. Uh, the purpose of poetry, unlike the other genres of scripture, appeals and speaks to the entire person from head to toe. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, that's the reason why songs are so catchy, why we're, we're, we're inclined to remember songs, even if we don't remember it particularly the words. Sometimes the tune will just help us carry the words along. Um, J.I. Packer, theologian and author, he said this. He once said that poems are always a personal take on something, communicating not just from head to heart, uh, from head to head, from, but from heart to heart. For this reason, po poems can often touch us, move us, and unsettle us in ways that stories or even narratives can't. But at the same time, while poetry wrestles and grapples with our emotions and our minds, poetry often can't be summed up in tidy statements as much as we would like. Poems aren't swept up in, in well-swept answers, and that's a lot like life. The reason why we end up identifying with songs and poems, not even psalms in uh, the Bible, but even just songs in general, is because it's actually a lot about life. The psalms talk about the stuff of life. Um, the psalms give us an accurate portrait of reality. And so the, var the very fabric of our lives aren't summed up in, in bullet points, but they're summed up in, bless you, in, in little stories, and, and they're, not, they're, they're not summed up in thesis statements. Our lives are often ordinary, sometimes messy and other times chaotic, but never neat or tidy. And so by introducing what the Psalms are, um, I hope you'll see why it's important for us to hear its message and story as we start the new school year. So without looking at your guys' handouts, I want to actually, this is going to be actually a kind of an interactive um, part for us here. Um, but without looking at your notes, I know some of you guys have already have, but just off of memory, or even just from your own personal study, what are psalms? What are psalms? Anyone? Anthony? 
Okay, all right. I was like, dude, the new guy is showing all you guys up. Um, anyone? <laughs> no one? Really? Okay, this, this just means that we actually do, this is, it's, it's good that we're doing this. None of you guys, none of us know what Psalms are. Anyone else know what a Psalm is? Yeah. Yes, thank you. They're like songs. That is absolutely correct, James. Anyone else? There are songs. Anyone else? All right, okay, fine, fine, fine. Okay, okay. Psalms, yes, are songs. Okay, but let me, let me actually build out our definition really quickly. Okay, so if you look in your handouts, uh, the Psalms are the divinely inspired songs of the people of God for the worship of God so that we can share in the life of God for the life of others. Now, if you have lost yourself uh, by trying to write down this definition, actually, uh, the points in your handouts actually give you the entire definition of what psalms are. So, hint, hint, um, the psalms are the divinely inspired songs of the people of God for the worship of God so that we can share in the life of God for the life of others. Um, I, I kind of threw off the rhythm there with others um, by not replacing it with God. Um, but first, and that's actually going to be the way that in which it's going to actually guide our discussion tonight, is that the Psalms are first the divinely inspired songs. They are divinely inspired songs, okay? Now, what this means is that the Psalms are a 150 collection of songs and prayers that come from all different parts and periods in Israel's history. Let me repeat that. Psalms are 150 collections, a collection of songs and prayers that come from all different periods of Israel's history. Okay? And so the poem, the songs, and prayers of King David make up almost half of the psalms. He writes actually 73 psalms of the 150. That's a lot. That's almost half. A brief little history lesson of the psalms is that these 150 songs were collected together and arranged sometime after Israel's exile, after um, uh, their exile to Babylon, and also their return back to their homeland. Okay, so in that course period of time, uh, in, in the, the early first century, uh, even before that a little bit, um, was when uh, these psalms were actually arranged. Okay, and the, the, the book of Psalms is actually intentionally arranged by a group of scribes according to five main sections, okay? Five main sections. That can be, that's actually going to be kind of important for us to understand. It's arranged in five important different sections, okay? And most of your Bibles have already arranged it for us. And also, just as an FYI, uh, we're actually going to be doing a little bit of Bible flipping for just for a little, uh, the first segment of our time together. Um, but if you guys have your Bibles, I want you guys to actually take a, take a look at Psalm 1. Okay, take a look at Psalm 1 in your Bibles. Psalm 1. And if you flip to the Old Testament, most likely you will have probably flipped to a psalm because they take up, again, 150 chapters of um, the Old Testament. And so um, Psalm 1. Everyone there? Psalm 1. Okay, Psalm 1. At the top of Psalm 1, it actually says, what does it say? Does it, does it say, book one, thank you, Emily. Emily, my gosh, book one. She must be a student of the word. Book one, okay, great. Um, Psalm 42, can you guys turn to Psalm 42? Psalm 42, da, 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 da. Psalm 42, whoever is there, can someone tell me what the top of Psalm 42 says? 
Book two, thank you, Ali. Okay, great. Um, can someone turn to Psalm 73 and tell me what it says? Psalm 73. <laughs> I don't trust you. I'm going to flip there. You're right. Book three. It says book three. All right. Um, can someone flip to Psalm 90? Thank you. Actually, I want us to turn there because I want you guys to believe me when I say that each um, that, that the Psalms are actually broken up into five sections. So Psalm 90. Wow, book four. Okay, great. Book four, 90. Okay, great. Finally, uh, turn to Psalm 107. What do you think that will say? Book six. Just kidding, it won't. Um, book five. Okay, book five. And um, the interesting thing is that um, each heading of those chapters that we just read will say book one, book two, book three, book four, book five. Now the question is, why are the Psalms arranged according to the way that they are? And we're going to get really interactive, but can I have actually five volunteers? So can I just, five people? Five people? It's really easy. It's not going to be, okay, one, two, three, four, and five. Chris, okay, the people that rose their hands, can I have, can I have one of you, uh, Davis, can you turn to um, Psalm 41, chapter, uh, verse 13? Chris, can you turn to Psalm 72, verses 18, 18 and 19? And then, Mia, can you read uh, Psalm 89, verse 52? And then, uh, finally, is that right? Finally? Actually, I just needed four people. Sorry. So maybe, okay, Olivia, uh, I'm going to have you read Psalm 106, verse 48. And so starting with, yes, Davis, can I have you read Psalm 41, verse 13? Chris, you know yours? Psalm 72, verses 18 and 19. And then Mia, chapter 89, verse 52. And then Olivia, chapter 106, verse 48. Okay, everyone got their places? Okay, so we're going to start sequentially. So in that order that I, yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, great. And then Chris. Okay, great. So he pretty much said the same thing that Davis did. So if, if you speak next, maybe speak a little louder. So Psalm 89, verse 52. Okay, great. And then Psalm 106, verse 48. Okay, amen. Okay, great. So we're done here. I'm just kidding. We're not. Um, you guys wish. Um, but is it random that the verses that you guys just read following that passage is actually the start of a new book. You guys notice that? Okay, and not just that, but that each passage that you guys just read actually follows a very similar idea. Blessed be the God, the, 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 the God of creation, and amen, amen, more or less. What we find in the Psalms is that none of it is actually haphazardly or arbitrarily arranged, okay? But its arrangement and collection is very intentional, now, you guys might be wondering, why, why do I need to know this? Why is this important for me? It's important for this simple reason, okay? It's because the Psalms are trying to do something here for us as its readers, okay? Let me show you guys. The Psalms, again, open with Psalm 1, okay? And it opens with a celebration. It says, blessed is the man who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night and then obeys it. Okay, you guys recognize that in Psalm 1? Now, the word for law in the Old Testament 
almost always refers to the Torah, which is usually translated teaching, but it almost always refers to the first five books of the of the Bible, yeah, of, of Moses' books. It was, it was what's known as the Torah, the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, five. Now, is it, is it a coincidence? Is it, is it coincidental that the Torah, which is five books, mirrors the five books of the Psalms? Now, of course, we know that Scripture is a very intentional, intentionally crafted piece of writing, which means that nothing is ever random in Scripture. And if the Psalms are arranged into five books in the same way that the Torah is, what is the point? The point is that the Psalms are meant to be seen as the second Torah. The, the, the Psalms are meant to be seen as the second Torah that will teach God's people to depend on him in prayer as they live out the first Torah, the first teaching. So actually, the Psalms is actually, in some ways, the fulfillment and the reinforcement of what early Jews were supposed to have abided by, the Torah. Does it make sense? You guys following, you guys following me? You guys are in high school now, so you're welcome to the big boy leagues. Um, what are they supposed to, specifically supposed to teach? The poems and songs that we are going to study for the next month and a half are poems that paint pictures of what a vibrant relationship what God is supposed to look like. That is what the Psalms are supposed to do. It is supposed to paint a picture of what a vibrant relationship with God looks like in the fulfillment of the Torah. And through song, they reveal who we are as if they were like a mirror. Okay? And in a mirror, we see our true selves. We see our true selves in a mirror. And I don't know if you guys have noticed this, unless you're, you know, standing in front of like a clown mirror, but there's no faking how you look in front of a mirror, um, unless, you know, like you, you draw stuff on it or something. Um, and the Psalms put the struggles that we face, the joys that we experience, the hurt that we feel into words, okay? Poems can often reveal our emotions in ways that, again, stories sometimes just don't. One of the reasons why the Psalms are also so beloved is because, for once, the distance between us and the original audience actually feels closer and closer. You guys notice that? We find ourselves relating to the author of the Psalms than any other part of Scripture. And the, and the reason why is because Psalms actually gives us a language for reaching out to the living God. Now, uh, many of you guys know that I don't like drops at rides um, and at theme parks. Um, you know, I hate that feeling that um, where it feels like your stomach is in another part of your body. Uh, just, that's not how your body is, you're not, that's not how you're meant to experience your body, okay? Your, your stomach is supposed to be where it, be where it is. Um, and many of you guys have heard of uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy fiasco that shall not be mentioned. Uh, but last Tuesday, um, as some of us were approaching the entrance of the ride, and even though I knew I wasn't going on the ride, even though I promised some of you guys that I would, um, as we approached closer and closer to the terminal and the lobby, I actually felt my hands sweating. Like, I was conscious of the fact that my hands were sweating, even though I knew I wasn't going to go on the ride. And I, I, I literally felt my heart beating faster. Like, I, I don't know why I just, like... I just, I just heard rocket talking, and I was like, shoot, like, we're close. Um, I didn't care how much people were goading me into riding the ride because I was scared. I, 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 I'm scared, guys. Um, and in that moment, these words popped into my head. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, he restores my soul. He leads me beside still waters. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That was what I what actually was rehearsing in my mind as I was entering the terminal. I was, I was scared. Um, and these were the words that didn't appear in my head actually on command. Um, these words didn't immediately register to me. Uh, they just came. The, the interesting thing about the Psalms is that, is that they tend to shape us even without us actually being aware of it happening to us. Did you guys catch that? That's the Psalms actually, and, and sometimes it happens with songs too. You guys, some, for some reason, like you, you see something, something triggers your, your memory, and some, for some reason, like some Taylor Swift song comes up, you know? Um, but the point is that sometimes we forget the fact that Psalms actually shape us and mold us in ways that we didn't even anticipate. And so then I exited the ride, and I didn't have to go on it, and then some of you guys got mad and started calling me a wuss and a liar, which I admit, yes, I am. It's on the recording, too. I'm a, I'm a liar, guys. Um, but this, this, this little tiny event happening in the lobby of Guardians of the Galaxy, it was just a tiny glimpse of what happens when God ordinarily intervenes into our tiny lives through a simple psalm like Psalm 23, Okay? And you can say that three things happened in that situation, okay? Three things, okay? The first was that there was a genuine need, okay? Uh, I thought that I was going to die on this ride, um, even though I knew I wasn't going to ride it, okay? I, I was going in a, into a situation where even though the probability of survivability was incredibly high, like the, the, enti- the attendance of Disneyland depends on it, okay? But for all I knew, I could have been on the next ride that would have just plummeted down that little shaft, okay? Um, and, and then all of you guys would have died, and, and th- that was the rest of that. And um, I'd have to call your parents, and I would have been in trouble. Um, but, and, so that was one thing, okay? There was a genuine need happening, okay? Um, the second was that um, it happened... What happened in that situation, that in, that in and through Psalm 23, I saw how the personal shepherd God routinely and actively invaded my life. Third, there's a third thing that was happening. A third thing that happened in this situation is that I, it's one thing to be aware of how I was feeling, and it's another to be aware of how God routinely acts. The third thing that happened was when faith in the living God was actually activated. And that's actually what needs to happen when we actually look at Psalms, is that not only is there a genuine need, not only do we know what God says, but actually the third component is probably the most important. It's how will we respond to the living God in light of that truth that we know? Will faith be activated in the living God or faith be activated in something else? I simply remembered who he was, what was true of him, and then I left the ride. Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So there's another promise, okay? But this was literally something that I had heard a thousand times. I heard, I've, I've heard um, the, Psalm 23 repeated a thousand times. And I've repeated that psalm to you guys a thousand times as well. But that was how God met me in the psalms at Gardens of the Galaxy. And that, that is what the psalms do. It reveals true human need. It reveals the, tri- it reveals the triune God. And it reveals what faith does in human need. It reaches out and it grasps 
onto the promises of God. It remembers who God is and simply just reaches out. That's what the Psalms are meant to do in us. That's what it's meant to awaken in our hearts. But the Psalms are not only songs, they are divinely inspired, okay? You'll notice that part of that definition is that the Psalms are divinely inspired, meaning this means that they aren't just songs, the songs of any person. They are the songs that reveal the language of faith. They reveal the language of faith. What the Psalms do is that as inspired scripture, the Psalms also master and repattern the way that we understand and respond to God, to life, to our circumstances, and to other people. The Psalms have surprising complexity and variety. There, there are no two Psalms that are alike. And you know, many scholars of the Psalms like to categorize the different Psalms into one of two categories, Psalms of, um, Psalms of praise and Psalms of lament. But more fundamentally, Psalms of lament are really cries for mercy. Save me, O God, Psalm 3. Deliver my soul, Psalm 22. Don't cast me off, Psalm 27. Say to my soul, you are my salvation, Psalm 35. What we see in the Psalms are cries for help that actually grow out of immediate and constant need. And what the Psalms, as divinely inspired songs, do is that they teach us about the redemption of our honesty before God and others. They actually teach us about the redemption of our honesty before God and others. You know, when you talk with people and share your burdens with people, there are two kinds of honesty. The one is self-destructive and the other is redemptive. Here's what I mean. There is a kind of honesty that is not good for you and not good for other people to listen to, okay? Raw human honesty tends to gossip. It is destructive. It is selfish because it is full of self-pity because of what others have done against you. It is full of judgment. It is full of self-righteous anger, hostility, bitterness. I was done wrong, and I'm telling you what I really think. That kind of honesty is raw, and it's usually ugly. But the Psalms give us a different kind of honesty, a redemptive kind of honesty. The, the Psalms give us a pattern of, for, for honestly sharing our burdens before God and others. It presents to God complaints that turn to God. Redemptive honesty recognizes both the dual evil of our sorrows, but also the dual evil of our own personal sins. It calls upon God to intervene and to act. It is angry because of unrighteousness and evil. It is an honesty that leads us to thinking well of others, not poorly of others. But the qualitative difference between, about, the difference between uh, raw honesty and redemptive honesty is that redemptive honesty turns to and identifies with the man of sorrows. Jesus is the ultimate psalmist who lived sorrow and lived death for you and for me. What, one of the psalms that we'll be looking at later is actually Psalm 22. It's what's also known as the Psalm of the Cross. It is the psalm that, psalm Je that Jesus quotes as he hangs on the cross. And he says, God, why have you forsaken me? Why do you hide your face when I cry out to you? Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever felt that? But maybe we're, we're too afraid to, 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 to express that in your own thought life or even prayer life. And the thing about the Psalms is that it actually authorizes us to speak to God candidly and with that kind of honesty. 
The thing that so many psalmists ask God is, don't give me up to death. There, 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 there's none to help me. Don't let me perish like the wicked. But then we see that the good shepherd becomes the lamb of God. He, he, dr- he drinks the cup of wrath that is reserved for the wicked for us. So in and through the psalms, we are actually given a divine template for our anger, for our grief, our sorrows, our despairs, our doubts, our fears, our worries, our sadness. And what's interesting is that the Psalms actually offer a completely counterintuitive and an alternative way of responding to our circumstances that in ways in which that the secular, that secular society is unable to. In the Psalms, we're actually given a redemptive language of faith. A redemptive language of faith. A kind of honesty that you can actually bring to God and expect God to hear through which we can honestly and truthfully come to God through Jesus Christ. You know, I think some of us who have grown up in the church here are very familiar with only one way of interacting with God without recognizing that in the Psalms we are actually given a range of emotions that the Old Testament believers expressed before the living God. Joy, hope, trust, fear, doubt even, anxiety. Now tell me that's, that's, not, that's not something that's not relevant for you guys here. That's the stuff of everyday life. This means that while the posture that all of us must have before God is humility, it actually authorizes us to speak with God in ways that allow us to be genuine, desperate, and needy. God knows our every thought anyway. For the Psalms to be divinely inspired means that we are given a divine template that shapes our prayers and posture before God. Secondly, is that the Psalms are the divinely songs, uh, divinely inspired songs of the people of God. They are the divinely inspired songs of the people of God. Now, the Psalms aren't just the divinely inspired songs, but they are written by Old Testament saints, people who were in a covenant relationship with the God of Israel. It's the reason why the Psalms often have the word Lord capitalized. Anytime you, have, you see the word Lord capitalized in the Old Testament, it was referring to the covenant name, the personal name of God, Yahweh. Okay? But true or false, true or false, the Old Testament is only for Jews. True or false? Anyone? You, you have a 50-50 chance. You have a 50 chance of getting it right, but you also have a 50% chance of getting it wrong. What do you guys think? True or false, the Old Testament is actually for Jews only. False. Okay. Do you guys know why? Dot, dot, dot. No one does. Okay, great. Okay. Let me, let me explain why. Um, you're right, by the way, in that the, the Old Testament is not just for Jews. It's false. Um, I don't know if you guys realize this, but all of the entire Old Testament is written for the benefit of the Christian because, in fact, the Old Testament is actually about Jesus. In your Bibles, I want you guys to turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 and 20 to, to 49. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 49. Luke 24. It's the last chapter in Luke's gospel, verses 13 to 49. And I'm going to read it for us. Uh, it's a little bit of a chunk of passage, so follow along with me um, as I read. But Luke 24, verses 13 to 49. This is really going to be really important for us. So I want you guys to pay attention. Verse 13. That very day, day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, 
about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened, namely the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were re- kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the temple early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? In beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning who? Himself. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if they were go- he were going far farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon Peter. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he, was ma- how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, my feet, that it is, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, so the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets... Old Testament prophets, minor and major, and what? The Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, that was a lot of scripture reading. (laughs) But the Psalms, as Jesus says in Luke 24, point and anticipate Jesus. It means that in some ways, and this is actually hotly debated, (laughs) 
whether or not the Old Testament authors knew that they were going to be speaking of the Messiah in the New Testament, at the very least, the scriptures in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus himself. And in the Psalms, what we see is that if the Psalms point to Jesus, then it also means that it is also for the benefit of Jesus' followers. The story that the Psalms tell is the story that Jesus comes to save. The Psalms were Jesus' songbook and were songs that he had memorized by heart in the same way that we had memorized Jesus loves me, this I know. It was the book of the Bible that he quotes more than any other. And obviously, as we had just read, the Psalms aren't just sung by Jesus, they're also about him. In the Psalms, you see the story of God ruling and reigning. But in the same story, we also see the sin and sorrow of God's people. There's rebellion. We hear the people of God in terror. There are sleepless nights. There's danger. There's enemies all around. Tears on their pillows. People asking whether God has abandoned them. But at the same time, what you see also in the Psalms is the, 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 the conclusion of the story with a king who dies for his people, who rescues them out of danger and takes their place who also comforts and restores his people. In fact, the Psalms constantly actually refers to a Davidic king that anticipates, that obviously were written by King David, but also anticipates a further King David, a greater David, greater than David himself. In the Psalms, what we see is it takes form the great epic poem of the creator God who will at the last redeem his people. And with them, his entire creation, in and through the Messiah, Jesus. That's what makes the Psalms Christian, not just Jewish. And as followers of Jesus, we participate and share in this story. As Christians, it means that we join with the chorus of the Old Testament believer as well. And so the songs of the psalm are not only for Jews, but in fact are for Christians. Their song is also our song. Third, is that the Psalms are the divinely inspired words of the people of God for the worship of God, for the worship of God. The Psalms is also written for for the people of God to instruct them on the worship of God. Now, as we open up and read the Psalms, we are actually approaching and entering into God's throne room of grace. And in this throne room, we see God, not as we wish or hope that he was, but actually as he reveals himself to be. A God who is actually not on our terms, but on God's terms. We see a God in the Psalms on God's terms, not on our terms. In other, wor- in other words, we cannot bend to God our whims and our desires. The God of the Psalms is the God of the Psalms. He is not the God of our Psalms, but the God of his Psalms. The fact that the Psalms is about the worship of God and not ourselves means that we do not come to God on our own terms but on God's terms. And you know, the interesting thing is that early on in C.S. Lewis's life, in his Christian life, C.S. Lewis struggled with the idea that God demands our praise and commands us to give him glory. You guys might have wondered that yourselves. Um, He thought that God sounded like a needy and cloying grandma who consistently craves and even demands our praise and glory. And you know, you might not think that God is like some needy grandma, but for 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 some of us, this might be our stumbling block. Why does God consistently demand our praise and glory? I think that's a genuine question we have to ask ourselves as we actually look at the Psalms. Why does God demand, not just want, but demand our praise and our glory? Well, C.S. Lewis 
was super put off by it until he realized that his understanding of God and praise were all wrong. C.S. Lewis had recognized that the world rings with praise. Teachers praising their students, fans praising their favorite K-pop bands, new parents praising their newborn babies. C.S. Lewis found that praise reveals what is most precious and important to us. Another thing that he had noticed was that just as people spontaneously praise what they value, they often urge others to join their song of praise as well. Every morning at 8.50 a.m., when we get into the car, Megan puts on BTS on the radio, and I'm forced to join in her praise. This is what the psalmists often refer to and call people to do, they, to join in their, their worship and praise of God. But what finally clicked for C.S. Lewis was when he realized that we praise, glorify, and we express how awesome something is, because praise not only expresses our joy, but actually completes our joy. Praise not only expresses our joy, but actually, in fact, completes our joy. That until we sing, we have actually not come to the fullness of our joy. Until we sing, we have not come to the height of our happiness and delight. And one of the most hilarious things on Friday nights and Sunday mornings is that some of you guys mouth the words that we sing for musical worship, but I know for some of you guys throughout the week, you guys are like listening to Ariana Grande. You guys are singing. You guys are belting out Ariana Grande. You guys are listening to like Billie Eilish, whoever it is, Post Malone. Actually, I don't know if that's what you guys listen to. Like I just asked some people and that's just what's, that, that, that's what, that's what they said that you guys listen to. I'm not even sure. But what C.S. Lewis points out is that we delight to praise what we enjoy. We delight to praise what we enjoy. Our praise reveals what we enjoy. What we talk about most reveals what we enjoy the most. What we think about most reveals what we enjoy the most. What arrests our attention and our time throughout the entire week. What occupies our minds for the entire week reveals what we value most in life. And that's actually where the Psalms challenge us in that it challenges our idolatries. The Psalms reveal what we functionally trust in. It reveals that we trust in the approval of others rather than, speak, than, than seeking the eye of God. It reveals that we hope in better circumstances rather than the comfort of God's presence. It reveals that we believe the lies that our friends tell us rather than the truth of God's word. The Psalmists reveal our idolatries and reveals just how little we trust God and how much we trust ourselves our possessions, whatever it is. And at the same time, by revealing what we functionally worship and trust in, the Psalms also reshape what we ought to enjoy, what we should love, and what we need to desire. Because in the Psalms, we are actually given an invitation to come to the fullness of our joy in God. C.S. Lewis writes that in commanding us to glorify him, God is actually inviting us to enjoy him. You guys catch that? That in, in, in God calling us to glorify him, it is none other than an invitation to actually enjoy God himself. To glorify God actually is to enjoy him. That is actually what C.S. Lewis is saying in that guys like John Piper have, ripped, have, have, uh, have, have just totally ripped and borrowed. More fundamentally, more fundamentally, it is teaching and it is actually giving an invitation to feast and dine at his banqueting table. We are given an invitation to taste and see God's goodness. 
to find that in God we have everything that we need. To see that at the right hand of God are pleasures forevermore. The Psalms therefore shape our spiritual appetites to see that if we still have God, then we actually still have everything. The Psalms teach us to worship God, yes, but more fundamentally, the Psalms teach us to enjoy the living God and to be attuned to his presence in all of our lives. Fourth, is that the fourth, the fourth point? Yeah, okay, fourth point is that so that we can share in the life of God, so that we can share in the life of God. The assumption of the Psalms is that the people of God are already, already share in the life of God. Okay? We don't sing praises to God so that we can enter into relationship with God. It is actually, in fact, we sing because, we've arsh- because God, God has already partnered and covenanted in relationship with us. We are already in a relationship with God. That is, not why we, that is why we sing, that we are God's people and God is our God. But what the Psalms also do is that it actually drives us deeper into our relationship with him. Because as much as the Psalms reveal who we are, the Psal- again, the Psalms also shape and mold us into people whose life source can only be God God himself. Singing these songs and praying these poems will shape us into people who thirst and faint for the living God, Psalm 63. People who find that even the hard parts of life, God is still our strength and our portion, Psalm 73. People who believe that the steadfast love of God is better than life itself, Psalm 63 again. The life of God is actually in the love of God. The life of God is actually in the love of God. What the, what the Psalms ultimately show us and teaches us is how to answer God by faith, how to expand our vision of God, and how to orient our lives around him. And then finally, finally, the Psalms also exist for the life of others. Finally, the Psalms shape and teach us to be people whose faith isn't just for ourselves, but for others as well. What the Psalms teach us is that faith isn't just for you, Your faith exists for others. It's the reason why the last five Psalms encourage others to join in the worship of God, where the love of God and the presence of God changes us from people who are selfish to people who are selfless with profound ability and capability to influence and be a force for good for others in the world. In other words, the Psalms create faith that works itself out in love. The Psalms create faith that works itself out in love. You know, one of the profound effects of a life changed by God is that it actually makes us more joyful people. A life touched and consistently met by the grace and mercy of God moves us out to be people who are generous with others. We are not afraid of what others think of us. We tell others how God met us. Psalm 71, verses 23 to 24, my tongue will will talk of your righteous help all the day long. My lips will shout for joy. We are persistent with others, even though others have already given up. We forgive and bear one another's burdens because that is exactly how God interacts with us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, here's a thing that you most likely do not know. So here's some Bible trivia. The interesting thing about the word workmanship is the Greek word poema. Does that sound familiar? Poema. It's the root word that we get for poem. Okay? Poem actually means workmanship or craft. Christians saved by the blood of Jesus are actually the poema of God. The poem of God. 
We are God's workmanship, and God gives us these poems, these psalms, as a gift in order that through our studying, through our praying, through our living out of these psalms, that we may be shaped and molded to be a gift to his world. Do you guys catch that? We are called to be living, breathing, praying, and singing psalms of God, and the psalms are God's gift to us so that we can be shaped as his gift to the world. As Christians, our lives are the psalms embodied and enshrined for the life of others. And so to bring us back to where we first began, the psalms are the divinely inspired words of God for the people of God, for the public worship of God, so that we can actually share in the life of God for the life of others. The psalms is meant to show us that what it looks like to, have, to live a life completely dependent upon and surrendered to the God of grace to set our gaze and affections upon him, to to, to delight in him, and to find our strength renewed and hope abounding in him for the life of others. And so I'm really excited for our our, our series in the Psalms. I don't know about you guys. I'm personally excited. Um, And and next week, I'll finally actually preach a psalm rather than just talking about it. And so with with that, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll go into small groups. God, we thank you for your grace. And we thank you for your mercy and your kindness and what the the Psalms do for us as Christians. It shapes us and molds us to be people who are not only like your likeness, but also people who exist for the life of others as well. And God, I do pray that for these high schoolers here, that they would really actually see the Psalms as necessary for their own souls. That they would see in the Psalm book a language of faith, a language in which they can actually speak out and cry out to the God who hears them. You're the God who hears because you've heard the voice of your son and you hear the voice of your people. And so God, as, we, as, as your people cry out, we pray, oh God, that you would listen, that you would incline your ear to our words and that we would have a richer fellowship with you, a richer communion with you as a result of our time together in the Psalms. We thank you and we love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.